Just stand this morning as we worship together. You are more beautiful than anyone ever. Every day you're the same. You never change, no, never. Now satisfied, me 
pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much that we can gather in your house, gather among your people. God, that you, you hear us when we pray. You help us when we're hurting. God, we're thankful that this morning in the midst of, of everything going on that we can step aside from the chaos of the world 
can hear your word. We can gather with your people. We can sing praises to your name. So God, I pray that this morning as we as we worship, that we'll worship in spirit and in truth. We'll worship you and you alone. That you'll give us hope. God, that you'll heal. God, you'll heal the brokenness around us. God, that you'll bring comfort to hearts that are broken. God, to those who grieve that, God, they would know you and feel your spirit. God, I I just pray that in these next weeks, these next days, as there's so much turmoil around us, God, that, that you would help us who know you to remember that you and you alone are in charge. You and you alone are in control. That, God, in you we have nothing to fear. That you never leave your people. You never forsake your people. But you're with us always, even until the end of the age. And so we pray that that would be a reality. That this morning, God, we would feel that that truth. And God, you would guide our worship. God, be with those who are sick, some in our midst, others all around us, God, that that they would have healing, they would have comfort. God, we pray that you would bring an end to the turmoil around us, that you would give us peace. We pray this morning in Christ's name, amen.
thank you so much for what you did to us and for us. Father God, one single act in history forever changed millions and millions of lives. And Father God, this morning we pray that we would not let that sacrifice, the greatest sacrifice of all time, be in vain. Father God, we pray this morning that you would be here with us and among us that your spirit would not just be felt, but it would be active in our lives, Father God. That this morning you would light fire inside of us to change us into those that you have called us to be. Father God, we pray that this morning the words that the pastor speaks, Father, would be the truth that our soul needs. But Father God, more than that, that we would be listening, that we would have open arms and open hearts for your message. Father God, we love you and we worship you, and it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. It's, um, it's good to be uh, able to worship together um, and, and be able to do so uh, knowing that uh, our, our God reigns and that He is good. 
And uh, with that in mind, I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. As we considered the beginning of this passage last week, we looked at the work of the Spirit and how the Spirit's arrival changed. Um, It changed everything. It changed everything about the way that the disciples and the apostles were proclaiming. It changed their attitude. It changed their, their disposition. It changed everything about them. And as we come to verse 22 and moving forward in chapter 2, we begin to hear a message. And for those who were listening, especially to Peter as he began to proclaim that day, and as he proclaimed, and and we know from, from the first part of this chapter, they could all understand what was happening. They could all hear what was going on. They could understand in their own language, and that was what was so perplexing to the people who were there, is that, that they knew these, these were not men who were learned, these were not men who had uh, great intellect, at least in their mind, this is not men who were from a particular place that might have afforded them the ability to have all of these languages, and yet here they were, and they were preaching and proclaiming, and the people, the people could hear, and the people could understand And the people knew what was happening. And yet, as we look at this message this morning, this message that will be continually proclaimed, not just throughout the rest of the book of Acts, but throughout the rest of the history of the church, it seems that this message is not one that is new at all. In fact, it's the same message that we're seeing over and over and over again throughout all of Scripture. It's the truth of what God has done, and so I want us to to think about this message this morning. What do we know about this message? Why is this message so important? And what should we do with this message that has been delivered to us? How should we respond? Before we read, I want to to encourage you, as as we go through this passage... I want you to think about the impact this message has had on your life and understand that there are, this morning, millions upon millions of people who have never heard this message. And there are millions upon millions of people who have heard this message and frankly do not care anything about it. There are seemingly an infinite number of messages that are proclaimed all around the world. People have a message they want to get out about this thing or that thing. But friends, there is one message that is an eternal message of hope to a world that is lost and dying. And so while you will hear countless messages 
While you will go this afternoon, and if you watch television, you will see messages from candidates and organizations. If you go on social media, you'll see messages that people are proclaiming about themselves and about others. Friends, this message, this message and this message alone is the one that offers salvation full and free. So with that in mind, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22, I invite you, if you're able and willing this morning, to stand with me as we read from God's Word together. The book of of Acts tells us this, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men." God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also would dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants upon the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through all the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, 
They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You may be seated. The message is proclaimed to the people who are listening. The message is proclaimed to all those who had gathered there for that day of Pentecost. The message was proclaimed and the Lord worked. And by the end of this chapter, the Lord is adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. In verse 22, he begins to give this message, and by the end of the chapter, the Lord is adding to their number those who are being saved because they are hearing the Word of God. And friends, how desperate we are in the time in which we live to hear the Word of God. It has become rare And yet, the Word of God and the message of God is the only message that has the ability to save anyone. It's the only message of hope. So it's worth our considering this morning this message. What do we see as we look at the the first first point? The message is truth. The message is truth. Truth. He tells the men of Israel, hear the words of Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, with wonders, and signs that God did through him. God did mighty works through Jesus and attested to his ministry, attested to his validity, attested to who he was. God did that for those who were watching. Now many rejected him. In fact, he'll go on to say he was put up and killed by you, by wicked men, because of God's definite plan. God had a plan that was at work from the beginning, and you crucified Him. Verse 23 tells us. It's amazing we have God's sovereignty here. He was delivered up according to God's definite plan. But then we have the responsibility of humankind, but you crucified and killed Him by the hands of lawless men. God completely sovereign and man completely responsible is the truth of God's Word. That God is in control of all, but we are responsible for the things that we do. We can't put it off on God. We can't put the blame off on Him. We are responsible. This is the message of truth. The message is truth. God had sent Jesus and He did these signs and wonders in their midst. And they put Him up and crucified Him. But the truth is that God raised Him up, verse 24, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. What is the truth? The truth is that God sent Jesus. He demonstrated to all those who watched His power, His glory, His majesty, His authority. All of that attested to by God in their midst. And even in that, they rejected Him. They put Him up to be crucified, delivered Him up to be crucified. 
They put him to death, but death could not hold him because he is, was, always will be the Holy One of God. Now as you read that, you may think, well, this, this definitely sounds like something new. This is definitely not what God has done before. And yet I would tell you that this is the pattern of exactly what God has been doing from the beginning. What happens in the beginning? God creates... And in His creation, He creates a mighty work. There are wonders and signs all around. He has made everything out of nothing. But what did our parents do? What did our first parents do? Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. They had all the evidence around them. They had all the evidence they could ever need around them. Here is all of creation, and God has made it. God was present with them. He was with them because they were without sin and they could be in His presence. So God comes to His people. He reveals Himself without question. In Genesis 1, He reveals Himself without question, sending His Son in the Gospels. Adam and Eve's response is reject God. Do it my own way. Say no to what God has said. God has said, eat from anywhere you want except for this one tree. If you do, you're going to surely die. So what do Adam and Eve do? They reject God. What happens in the Gospels? Jesus comes. He is performing miraculous wonders and signs. He is showing God's power. And what do they do? They reject God's power. Friends, it's the same story that's been going on from the beginning. After Genesis chapter 3, God makes a promise that He is going to send a Savior. And that promise is weaved into all of the Old Testament. What happens at the end of the Gospels? That promise is fulfilled. The Savior is sent, and we go through the whole process again. They, they, God comes to His people, His people reject Him, but this time, God raises His Son from the dead and offers salvation full and free. They don't have to be under an earthly king. They don't have to be under earthly prophets. They don't have to be under earthly priests. The high priest has made the perfect sacrifice. The prophet above all prophets, Jesus, has come and proclaimed God's word. The King of kings and Lord of lords is seated on his throne in glory. They do not have to settle for someone less. This is the truth of what God has done. And it's not a new truth. It is part of the de definite plan of God and foreknowledge of God that has been worked out from the beginning. We can't lose this. Especially in a time when people do not understand truth and they do not believe that there is truth. I think it's so amazing now that there would be people on television and in our culture that would accuse people of lying. Friends, you cannot tell a lie if there is no definite truth. It is not possible. And if there is no definite, objective, eternal truth, then nothing is wrong. It might be wrong in my eyes, or it might be wrong in your eyes, but it is not intrinsically wrong 
unless there is moral absolute truth that has been from all eternity, God's truth. My friends, this message is truth. Truth that we are all in desperate need of a Savior. And the truth that God was going to send His Son to die in our place. A Son who, though He died, could not be corrupted. As verse 27 says, quoting back from from Psalm 16, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. This message is of truth that God was sending His Son. He did send His Son. His Son died on the cross. His Son was raised on the third day. And if we repent and believe, He will forgive us of our sin. He will welcome us into His kingdom. And we will be with Him forever. This is the the firm definitive, eternal truth of God. And this message that we have is truth. And friends, because it is truth, everything that is contradictory to it is a lie. And you must embrace both of those things. Because while the world may say, this is, this is your truth. This is your truth, Andrew. And this is my truth, and I've got my truth, and you've got your truth. Friends, there's God's truth and there's lies. And so if, if this word is true, this word that tells us that, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, if you're going to embrace that, you must also embrace that other things are lies. Because there's a lot of Christians who want to say, oh yeah, this is, this is, it works for me. You know, this works for me and it, it, you know, it makes me happy and it keeps me you know, going. Oh, but now, but, but now what this guy over here believes, that's fine too. That's good for him. It works for him. No, that's not how it works. Either Jesus is the only way to God, and he has called upon us to repent of our sins and believe and receive the Holy Spirit, as this text says, or we're all wasting our time. Friends, if, if you think that, that this is a truth and there's a bunch of other truth. Go do something else. Don't do anything. Who cares? And that's the way too many Christians are living, as if this is, this is good for them, and, and we're in the South, and this is our Bible Belt culture, and this is our American culture, and that's fine, and everyone else can do their own way. Friends, that is not how it works with God's truth. If there were other ways, do you not think that God would have chosen those ways? If there are other ways than sending His Son... If there are other ways now for us to come to him than through his son, why would he not want to have done that? His way is true. His way is the only way. And that is the message that we have. And that message is not well received many places. But friends, that message is the only one received by God. It's the only one sent by God. It's the only one approved for God's messengers. The message is truth. Next thing that we see, the message shows God's greatness. Pick up in verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Now think about what he is saying here. David is the great king of Israel. It was all downhill from there. Now remember, God told them when they wanted a king, this is not going to go well for you. 
God tells that to his people, and they want a king anyway. No, we want a king. We, we need a king. Everybody else has a king. It's amazing how often that line works, right? My kids do that. Your kids probably do that. Well, they got this, so why can't I have that? Well, that was their, that was their reasoning. All the other nations have a king. And God says, well, I mean, you, you kind of got a king. I'm your king. No, 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 no. We want, we want like a dude on a throne. Okay. They had Saul, and that did not go well. And they had David, and that went pretty well. You know, for an adulterous murderer, that went pretty well. And it was downhill from there. But in the mind of the people he's talking to, David is it. He's the greatest. And then he reminds him in verse 29, I can say to you with confidence that the patriarch David is dead. And he was buried. Now, those two things are true of Jesus at one point, right? Jesus was dead, and Jesus was buried, uh, but then, and his tomb is with us today. He could point them to the tomb where they put Jesus. Remember, this is, this is not very many days after the resurrection. Not many days have passed. He can point them. This is where they buried Jesus. Go and look. Look like I did. The tomb is empty. He says this, though, about David, verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of whom we, it, we are all witnesses. Everyone before them could stand there and say, listen, David might be dead. David might be in the tomb. David is dead. David is in the tomb. But Jesus is alive. This is a message that shows Christ's greatness. Why? Because he is greater than David. He has been exalted, verse 33 says, at the right hand of God. He has received from him the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out Everything they're seeing in front, this, this ability they have to speak in these various tongues that has been poured out in front of them as proof that Christ is greater than David. In fact, David did not ascend into heavens, but he, sa he says of someone else, the Lord saw my Lord, talking about this Christ, this resurrected one, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. Friends, what is he doing here? He's taking and making a contrast between someone that they thought was really great and showing how infinitely greater Christ is. Now, you and I might not need him to do that for David. But we certainly do need him to do that for other people that we look up to. Because, oddly enough, we will, we will still worship before people who are not nearly as great as Jesus. You say, no, pastor, I don't worship at anybody's feet. Let me ask you this. Is there anybody that could keep you from worship? Is there somebody that could have called this morning? And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about, your mom calls and your dad's on his deathbed and you need to come visit him. That's not what I'm talking about. 
There's somebody could have called up and said, hey, I got tickets to the game. Pastor, I'll be there next week. I got these great seats. Try to play on the fact that y'all know I'm a sports fan. I got, I got, man, I got these great seats. Okay. Okay. Somebody call, hey, hey, I got, I got a chance for, for you to go with me to do this. Or, hey, I need you to help me take care of this. Or, we got an election going on. And there's a lot of people that worship the president. I'm not saying y'all worship the president, but they some people worship the president. Like, I was driving by yesterday and people were buying flags for the president. And I already voted, so I don't need any flags. I got my sticker, my pen. It's in the ballot box. I don't have to worry th- about that. Hopefully the ads will stop. You know, the election is in like 12 days. What are you going to do with that flag? Like, if the president wins re-election, are you going to fly that flag for the next four years? That's just weird to me. Or there's other people. Listen, there's other people. What the president loses and, and the former vice president wins. Man, we're, the, the world's going to be saved. That's what we need. We, we, that's what we've heard from, from our leaders over the last few weeks. That, that we, we, Oh, this is, this is the salvation that we need. I mean, it's religious language people are using for presidents. Guess what? If you go here and you substitute in David for George Washington, and the, founding, the founder of our country, the, the greatest of our, our forefathers, the first president, the general who, who led us to victory against the British, and you know that he's just a pile of bones somewhere. Maybe not even that much left. I mean, Marvel would know. He, he embalms people all the time. They didn't do a lot of embalming late 1790s, early 1800s, whenever George Washington died. He, you, know, you could go find his grave today. You look at these communist countries, and what do, they, what do they do when their leader dies? They preserve them right under glass where you can still go by and look at them. Because everything was tied to them. And, and they have to shut it down every now and then. Why? Because, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the human body is not meant to be put on display forever. And no amount of makeup, and no amount of plastic, and no about, amount of formaldehyde can preserve someone to be displayed forever. You ever seen a mummy that they pulled out of the ground? You know, at one point, those guys were worshipped in Egypt. Worship, they fell before them. In fact, when they died, a lot of people had to die with them as sacrifices. And they threw their animals in, and they threw their wives in, and they threw servants in. I mean, they all got piled in there. You ever looked at one? They're pretty dead. See, we might not look at David and say, oh, yeah, you know, David was greater than Jesus. But friends, we need to examine our heart and make sure that somebody else is not greater than Jesus in our life. Because the message of Jesus, this message that that is being proclaimed here to all of these people is that Jesus is greater than the greatest person you have ever thought about for them, David. The, The greatest king you have ever had. Guess what? Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. Friends, that's good news. Because on November 4th, guess what? Jesus is still greater. 
And in 2024, I don't know if you realize this or not, this will be the most depressing thing you hear today. In 2024, if the Lord does not destroy our nation or come back for his church, we're going to do this again. Y'all realize that? Y'all going to get the ads again, and y'all going to get the signs again. I don't know if we're going to get the flags again, because I don't know if I've ever seen this many flags. Maybe it's just in Dudley Shoals where I live, but there's flags everywhere. We're going to do this again. And you know what? It'll be different people. It might be one of the same person. It might be none of the same people. We're going to do this again. And we're going to get the bumper stickers and the radio ads and the Facebook ads. And we're going to do this again. And guess what? Jesus will still be greater. And if, and if next time in 2024, they raise Billy Graham from the grave and they put him on the ballot, and we all going to vote for him, Jesus is still greater. And if, and if it's your best friend who's going to put you in a cushy office to become president of the United States, Jesus is still greater. Friends, if it's me, and I know some of you are writing me in this year for president, I appreciate that so much. I'm finally old enough to be president of the United States. The three or four votes I get in Burke County, are, they're going to put me over the edge. Jesus is still greater. And if we miss that, reading this message on this day at this time, if we miss that Jesus is the greatest, that he is the most powerful, that his greatness is beyond comparison, then we miss the point of the message. Why would you want to worship a lesser God when you can worship Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords? The one who even the great King David attested to the one who David said, God is going to have him sit at his right hand. And therefore, we must join in with Israel in verse 36. And knowing for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus is the greatest. The message is about Christ's greatness. A third thing we see. The message reveals salvation. The message reveals salvation when they heard this look at verse 37 when they heard this they were cut to the heart friends what would it mean if every time you hear god's word proclaim you're cut to the heart how numb have we become that we can hear it we can read it and not be cut to the heart by it they hear this message from Peter, this proclamation of Christ's greatness, and they're cut to the heart. And what do they say? And he said to Peter, they all, this group says to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? How do we know that we're proclaiming God's message? How do we know that we're proclaiming it truthfully and about the greatness of Christ? Friends, people are going to respond by asking, well, what do I need to do with this? Friends, a burden. It's a burden when that's not the response to God's message. They ask, what shall we do? Peter said to them, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. What are you repenting? You're repenting for the forgiveness of sins. Why are you being baptized to demonstrate Christ's forgiveness of your sins? You're not repenting of, of whatever, whatever we try to make repentance to be, that, that is some 
little things, some minor things. Friends, the reality is that we have sinned against God. Just as Adam and Eve sinned, you, you know the results of that. We, we see the, the response of God to what we might look at and go, well, that's, that's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal to just, I mean, they ate just a piece of fruit. Hey, maybe they forgot. Maybe they forgot which tree was the one, you know. There were so many trees. They, they forgot which one it was. Friends, their one act of disobedience plunged all of creation into darkness. That is the gravity with which God treats sin. One act, one small act, one that we would, we would maybe pop our kid on the hand for or, or, or just take it away from them and tell them to go do something. Now, we wouldn't even think it's that big of a deal, and yet God pronounced judgment upon people, and they were separated from Him. So when we are told that we must repent and be baptized, everyone, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins... Friends, it's because we have broken the heart of God. We have pushed God away. We have separated ourselves from God by our sin. And when we repent, we are, we are turning from that. But it is so much more. We are brokenhearted because of our sin. And when we repent and are baptized for the forgiveness of sin, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. A promise that he tells us is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to Himself. This message reveals salvation. Friends, without this message, this message that God has given to us, a message that we are to proclaim to the world, a message that people need Jesus, without this message, people will not know Christ. People will not be saved. You need to understand that today. We, we, we... Friends, it feels like we miss this all the time. People out there will not be saved without this message here. If we are neglecting this message, they will not hear. We can't rely on somebody else saying this. Somebody else having this message. Because friends, there's a lot of places that are meeting this morning with church on the sign that wouldn't know the gospel from some other religious belief in some other religion in some other part of the world. They have mixed up their beliefs with so much new age malarkey, with the prosperity gospel, with self-help movements. They've mixed it all together and they've shook it all up and whatever they pour out is what they give every Sunday to the people. Just last week, a friend of mine at another church, while we were gathered here, they were gathered at their church, the deacons of his church came to him, told him he needed to resign. He asked them why, and this is the answer. You use the Bible too much. Friends, that's a Baptist church in North Carolina. You read too many verses last Sunday. that's the state of the affairs that we have and that's not some newfound you know hipster church 
That's an old-timey, old-fashioned Bible-believing church. But his spit doesn't go far enough, and he don't stomp enough, and he don't shout enough, and he uses the Bible too much. That's the state of the church today. I hope that if I leave here today and fall over dead, the next person that fills this pulpit, the first thing you're going to ask, the first commitment you're going to find out is, are you going to preach to us the Bible? Because, friends, everything else is foolishness. Don't come. Go go to another church. If this church hires somebody that won't teach you the Bible, go to another church. I'll be dead in this scenario, so I don't care anyways. Because this is what we need. We need the truth of God's message because it reveals salvation. There is salvation nowhere else. And we have become complacent and satisfied in hearing something less than the gospel. This good news that we need to repent and be baptized so that we can be saved and have the Spirit of God. What does he warn them? Verse 40, and many other words he bore witness and continued exhorting them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now think about that. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. That is where we are. We, again, are in a crooked generation. It was a crooked generation that had crucified Christ. It's a a crooked generation that continues to pervert his message today. How are we saved from that crooked generation? It's through the truth of God's word and the truth of his message. And what happened, verse verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You think that people will respond to the word? Yes. Will people respond to other things? Certainly. But will people respond to God's word? Yes, they will. And you know, there was a time in our, our history as Baptists, and not so far in the past, that we believed that we had to put on a show to get people to Jesus. We believe we had to put on a show to get people to Jesus. And guess what? The show ran its course and it ran out and people stopped coming to the show. They went into another show. They went to find another show. Because it's like a movie, right? I got some favorite movies. Maybe you got a favorite movie. I think my favorite movie in the whole world is Forrest Gump. It's fantastic. I can't watch Forrest Gump every day. I love Star Wars. I mean, I love watching Star Wars. I mean, I can't sit and watch Star Wars every day. Why? Because it's, it's a show, right? And at some point, you've seen the show. And at some point, you know all the lines. And it's just not that interesting. In fact, at home, when I need to go to sleep, when I'm having trouble sleeping, I will go back and watch TV shows that I've seen before. Why? Because my brain knows the show so well, it'll disconnect and let me go to sleep. If I'm watching something that I've never seen before, I won't fall asleep. Because I'm engaged. But if I've seen the show over and over and over again, I'll go to sleep. I'll wake up. I might have missed three or four episodes. Doesn't bother me. Just pick up with the next one. Friends, that's what we were doing in the church when we were a show. We're not a show. We're a place that shares the message that reveals salvation. It's the place that gives hope, the only hope that is available. And finally, the message builds community. The message builds community. 
So what happens? All of these people get saved. Man, they had to build a big... That was not good. We had to build a big building. God, you can't put those bees together like that. That's what they had to do, right? They were going to big, build bigger and better. I, I just got to get off of it. It's not going to work. They had to engage in a construction project. There we go. A building program. Right? That's, that's what we got to have a, a 5,000 seat sanctuary because now we got 3,000 and we got the other people we had, and you can only be at 80% capacity and people will stop coming. Think about that. Statistically, if this place was full, at 80%, there will be people here who would stop coming because they didn't have enough space between them. Statistically. I'm not saying you, I'm saying statistically. At 80%. At 80% in churches, you have to go to two services. If you don't, people will stop coming because you're, you're, you're too cramped. Now, I understand, you know, worldwide pandemic, that's cool. We're not going to sit cramped. No worldwide pandemic, you won't sit close to somebody to hear the message of the gospel. But that's what people, that's what people do, they'll leave at that percentage. Is that what they did here? They, they built a big cathedral so that everyone could, could hear and come, and they got a, a nice new sound system, and they put in a projector, and they, they know. First thing they do, all of them have come together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that's the first step of being a church, the apostles' teaching, right? We devote ourselves to what God has said in His Word. Well, that's what happens when the message of the gospel goes forward. This message builds community. It builds a community of believers. We know from other parts of the Scripture, it also, the message eventually weeds out non-believers. They devoted themselves also to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Those are the four things that are the, the first things listed when the early church has become the early church, when they have all come together and, and people have been saved. They, they listen to what the apostles have to say. They listen to the teaching. You know, it doesn't say the pastor. So, so it's not saying you've got to listen to what I say. So some of you are happy about that. It just says you got to listen to the Bible. Some of you are not happy about that. And to fellowship. They commune with one another. That, that word fellowship is, it, we, would, we would probably use the word community now. It's, it's the more the buzzword. They, they mean the same thing. The breaking of bread. They're, they're fellowshipping. They're having meals. They're having the Lord's Supper together. And they're praying together. What happens when this community is built by the Spirit of God among them? All came upon every soul. Were they in awe of the large facility they had built? Well, no, they didn't build a large facility. Are they in awe how, how impressive their budget was? No. Are they in awe at, at how they were the trendy, popular church in the community? Well, they were the only church in the community. So they were both the popular church and the less popular church. Because there's only one. No. When those four things took place in their midst, all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And what were they doing? They had, they were together, verse 44. They had all things in common. 
Was the church divided up among the, the rich people over here and the poor people over there and, and the white folk over here and the black folk over there? And No. That's not how it was. They were together. Who was together? All who believed were together and had all things in common. Friends, what, what good news that is. That while it may not always look like that, it's the way God designed it to look. And in fact, when it doesn't look like that later, that's when Paul comes in and says, wait a second, there are divisions among you. Why are there divisions among you? He knew this is how it was supposed to be, and when it's not like this, you need to fix it. What are they doing? Verse 45, they're selling all their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They made sure nobody in the church was hurting. Now, you need to read this and understand. There was somebody dropped by earlier. Pastor Lore took them out to, to the gas station, get them some gas. They get some gas? You got them some gas. We got them a little bit of food. That's not what it's talking about here. It's not talking about if somebody walks in off the street and, okay, we need to take up a big collection for them. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. What's it saying here? It's talking about the people of God's house, the people of God, the people of the church. They made sure that nobody that was part of their fellowship had a need that wasn't met. It's not saying they went out and, okay, you know, they're walking down through Jerusalem, but there's a, a homeless guy and there's a pork. Let's get. This. No. They're talking about the people in the church. Because the church is the representative body to the world that is watching around. And so when they had all things in common and when they believed together, they made sure that there were no needs in the church that were not taken care of. And when there was, they took care of it. When there was a need, what happened? They distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. They made sure. They made sure that the people who they fellowshiped with the people who they were together with and had all things in common with had what they needed. That's part of community. So we look out for each other. I know at various times you may feel more in community with the church and less in community and that shifts and changes and and life happens and things in life cause that to change. But friends, understand this. We are a family. We have been called to be a family. Not, not, well, we need to make ourselves more like a family. No, we are a family because God has brought us together. And we need to understand ourselves as a family. When someone hurts, everyone is hurting. And if you don't feel that way, get more connected to the family. Because it's just like our regular families, right? Like There's some people in my family, I couldn't tell you what they're doing right now. I think they're alive. My mom would probably tell me differently because that's kind of her role in the family is to say, hey, your cousin so-and-so died. But you need to understand this. I see all of you much more than I see my family. Outside of my mom and dad, I see all of you more. 
We need to be concerned about what is happening in our family. Because this is an eternal family. There's going to be people in your family who will not be in eternity with you in heaven. You know that. Your heart is broken because of that. I know that. It's true of my family. But friends, all of us in here who know Christ will be together forever in eternity. But that eternal fellowship and community of our family does not start then. It starts now. And I want to promise you, because of the way the family is corrupted in the culture around us, if we will be a family, if we will be a community of believers who love one another, it will shock the world. Because they're not used to that. Because there's churches who will fire their pastor for preaching the word. There are churches who will split over colors of carpets. I know some of y'all ain't going to do that because when I got here, y'all were sad the place hadn't burned down. Some of you were mad at former staff members for putting out the fire that could have burnt the place down. But we need to examine, are there other places where we allow division to prevent us from being the community that God has called us to be? And if there is, then we need to do everything possible to be together, to believe together. Because what brings us together and makes us one is not the color of our skin, is not our political beliefs, is not how much money we have. What brings us together and makes us one is that we believe. And that belief is far greater than our money, our education, our race, where we live, our background, our preferences. The fact that we believe is far greater than that. And what God wants for Himself is a church, a community of people who are together because they believe. And so what happens? Verse 46, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Now think about that. What, what, what helped? They went to church together, and they ate together. Well, friends, those are pretty easy. You already knocked out one of them this morning. Some of you have done both because you had breakfast in the gym. What helped them come together? They went to the temple. They went to worship day in and day out, and they broke bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. The people in the people around them, the people in Jerusalem, the people who had killed Jesus saw that now his followers, who were very different, could come together, worship together, eat together, fellowship together, and they found favor with all people because of this. And what happened? The Lord added to their number day by day those were being saved because they were willing to come together. Take this message that builds community and be together with one another. The Lord began to add to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now you notice it doesn't say day by day those who are attending their church. We've got to get past that. That was such a bad time in the history of Baptist churches. When our goal was to get people to come to church. 
get people to come to church. No, our goal is to see people saved. When somebody is saved, getting them to come to church is not a problem. Not a problem at all. If someone knows Christ, they're going to come to church. Because that's what you do. That's what's built into you. You desire fellowship among other believers. I always find, and the other pastors can attest to this, when we have people come looking for help at the church, one of the things we always ask is, where do you go to church? I was telling, I think I was telling Rachel this like yesterday, it's always, well, I'm looking, or I'm in between churches. Friends, I got saved when I was 11 years old. When I was a teenager, my dad would drive to soccer games. I, despite my physique currently, I played soccer in high school. That's funny, you can laugh. I played soccer in high school, and we had games at Watauga, Eastburg, Crest. And a lot of those games were on Wednesdays. And you know what my dad would do? My dad would take off work when he got off at 3.30. He would drive to wherever that game was. He would pick me up after the game. I didn't ride the bus home. He would pick me up and take me to church. I was there on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. Not because my parents made me. My parents didn't always go on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. They definitely didn't go on Wednesday nights. But they made sure I was there because I wanted to be there. When I got my license, I could go do whatever I wanted. I was at church Sunday night, Wednesday night. My parents didn't make me go. It wasn't because they, they were expecting I was going to be some preacher one day. No, the, the Lord had changed my heart. And that's where I wanted to be. Rachel and I got married. We lived far off from everybody. We could have just done whatever. You know what we did? We went and joined a church. We were members there like four or five weeks. And I got called to a church and went to the pastor and said, hey, I know I just joined and y'all just voted me in. I'm leaving. God's called me into ministries. Give me a ministry opportunity. Why? Because when you hear the message, it builds community. We want to be together. And that shouldn't be a foreign idea. That shouldn't be an oddity. I know in years past, services have been canceled here. No more Sunday night preaching. Wednesday nights got, got kind of pushed aside. But friends, our desire should be to be together. And right now with this virus, we are coming in, we are sitting down, we are getting up, we are leaving. Barely talking to each other. Now, some of you expressed to me that in the times when we're having the video Bible studies, you're sitting at home and you missed being here so much. The reality is some people didn't miss it at all. Again, statistically, across churches largely, people, there was a huge percentage of people that never even turned on their phone to watch their service. They just didn't go for three or four months. Guess what? All those people will never go back. A lot of these people, it was, just a, it was just a tradition. It was just a routine. Friends, when, when the message comes upon us, it, it brings about this desire for community. And, and I don't think that this is prescriptive, so I don't think this is necessarily telling us we have to sell everything, that we have to, to all move to the same place and, and share all of our possessions. I don't think we see that happen even through the rest of the book of Acts. 
But I do think it's prescriptive in this, that we must devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We must devote ourselves to fellowship. We must devote ourselves to the breaking of bread. We must devote ourselves to prayer. We must strive to have all things in common and be together. Be together, because if we are together, then God will use our togetherness for His glory and His kingdom. When they are together praising God, God adds to their number day by day those who are being saved. This is a message that builds community. So here's the thing before us. What are we going to do with this message? What are we going to do with this message? You've heard it. You've heard it today. Looking around the room, many of you have heard it a long time. Some of you have heard it from me for almost eight years. Some of you have heard it for 50 and 60 and 70 years from a myriad of different pastors. You've heard the message, the good news. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with this message? This message of truth. This message that that promotes God's greatness. That promotes how Christ is greater than anyone else. What are you going to do with this message of salvation? The only salvation that is available to anyone is in this message. Maybe you've got all of that down. What are you going to do with this message of community? Because, friends, I think this this virus has sought. You say, well, the virus is not a person. I believe that Satan has used this virus in an attempt to fracture the church of Christ. Look around. It's not a secret. There's people that aren't here. Some of them aren't coming back. Some of them are still worried about the virus. They're being cautious. Friends, some of them aren't coming back. They didn't like some of the decisions that that we had to make as leaders during this virus. That's fine. But our enemy has sought to fracture his church. Or rather, fracture Christ's church. Fracture Christ's church through a virus. Through a time when it should have drawn us together. It should have given us a new sense of longing to be with God's people. Instead, for some people, it was time to check out. Friends, what are we going to do with it? Knowing that we are stronger together, when of one mind and one voice we proclaim the one truth to the people that need it about the one God who has offered them salvation, one salvation. What are we going to do with this message? I want to encourage you with this this morning. If you don't know Christ, today is the day to follow Him. Friends, this is the only message that can save, that you need to repent, turn from your sin, and believe. Turn from your sin and believe this good news, that Jesus has died in your place, and God has raised Him from the grave. He has conquered the grave for you. But friends, if you know Him this morning, if you don't know Him, you need to come. You need to come and let me share with you how you can know Him. But if you do know Him this morning, here's the thing, are we we standing on the truth of this message? Are we ensuring that Christ is the greatest in our life, that there is no one else, we're not putting anyone above Him? Are we proclaiming the message of salvation to a world that's lost and dying? And are we, are we ensuring that as, as He impresses the message upon us, that He is building community within us? Maybe you need to go to someone who you have a fractured relationship with in our church before we leave and make that right, because it's, it's affecting your ability to commune with God and His people. 
Maybe there's somebody in the church you don't know very well and you need to invite them over to eat. We started doing that. It's going to take a while because there's a lot of you. We started inviting, making sure that everyone in our church has come to our house to eat. It shouldn't have taken us eight years. To be honest, when you're at the parsonage, it kind of feels like you're at church all the time. Now it feels like you're not at church all the time and it's nice. When we invite you to come, come eat at our house. If, if we're the only ones that ever do, I want to make sure that you've ate at my house. Because you're my family. But maybe some of the rest of you need to do that. Not, not with the people you always eat with. You need to find someone you've never ate with and say, I want to buy you lunch. If they don't have a heart attack and die right there in front of you, buy their lunch. Take them out. Invite them over. Guess what? We, we don't, there was a time in this church a long time ago when I was in high school or middle school or something like that, that we have 500 people here at this church, and you couldn't do that. Guess what? Now you can. And some of you think it's terrible. It's terrible if people don't go to church. Now you can eat with them. And I don't know if you know this or not, my wife is an extraordinary cook. So it's like I get the privilege all the time. But some of you can cook, you can host, you can invite. Maybe you need to call somebody. Somebody you used to be close to and you're not anymore. This message creates community. It's not contrived, it's not pushed, it's not made up, it's what it creates in us. Because only God could create people coming from all over the world, getting together, selling all of their stuff, giving it to people they didn't know, and praying with them. Only God could do that. Friends, maybe that's what God's wanting to do in our church. To bring us together. To fix any places we might be fractured. To help any places we might be broken. To encourage any places we might be in despair. The message builds community. Maybe that's what we need to do. Because I'll be honest, I think we've got the truth right. I think we believe that Christ is greater. We might be tempted on occasion, but I, I believe that we, we believe Christ is greater. I know that, that many of you have shared with many others the, the good news about salvation, but, but are we allowing God to build the community He wants to build in our midst? Maybe that's what we need to be doing. And see if he will not be glorified. See if praising God, as verse 47 says, and having favor with all the people. See if God won't do something in the midst of our community that is lost and dying. If we have community among ourselves. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and goodness. We thank you that you love us and you care for us, that you've given us hope. God, I thank you that that you have given us truth and we can stand upon your truth. I thank you that you sent your Son who is the way, the truth, and the life. God, help us to always stand upon that truth. God, I thank you that that we don't have to rely on the greatness of some other person who has fallen as we are. But rather we can trust in the greatness of Christ, in the greatness of Your Son who came and gave His life for us. 
God, help the message of salvation be on our lips and, and never dismissed, never belittled, never ignored. How tragic it is that so many people will have the opportunity this morning to share of your good salvation and they will not do so. God, let that never be said of us. And God, I pray that you would build a community of believers in this church like no one has ever seen. Not fractured or splintered. Not divided in any way, but together as one. God, that, that as a community, we would, we would hear and apply the teachings of your word. That we would fellowship with each other. That we would break bread together. That we would pray together. God, I trust, I trust and believe if we follow your word, God, you will do a mighty work in our midst. God, I don't know what that's going to look like. But God, we trust that your word will never return void. But it will always accomplish that thing for which you intended. So God, I just pray. I just pray this morning that you would build community among us. That you would build hope within us. And God, that you would guide us to reach a world that is lost and dying. God, we thank you. We praise you. We pray this morning in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me as we sing a final song. You need to respond this morning. Not you might need to respond this morning. You do need to respond this morning. If you don't know Christ this morning, you need to respond by coming and, and allowing me to share with you how you can know Him. That's first and foremost. You need to follow Christ. But friends, maybe there's something else on this. Maybe there's some part of the message that, that you've been leaving out. Maybe you've not stood fast on truth or, or you've allowed something else to be greatest in your life. Maybe, maybe the message of salvation has not been proclaimed from your lips. Or maybe you've not sought to be community, fellowship with one another. Friends, whatever it is, would you, would you come as we have this time and pray that, that God would correct that in your life, that he would, he would help you, that He would build that community. Friends, maybe you feel good about all of these, but you would just pray for our church, that, that God would do these things in our church, that He would build community in our church. Maybe you want to come and pray for someone that's lost. You're going to go and, and share with them the gospel when we're done. Whatever it is. You might not need to respond. You certainly need to respond. It's not a maybe. God has called all of us to respond. That is what happens. That is what happens when God's word is proclaimed. They ask, what must we do? If you don't know the answer, cry out to him this morning as we sing together.
want to thank you for coming to worship this morning. And as we go, I just want to encourage you, be the community that God has called you to be. And you might think, well, he's talking about somebody else. No, I'm talking about you and me, all of us. If we're going to be a family, because God's called us to be a family, if we're going to be a fellowship, because God's called us to be a fellowship, then we've got to invest in the work. We've got to put in the hard work, the hard work of reconciling when there's brokenness, the, the hard work of, of, of finding people who are hurting and caring for them. That is hard work, and it's the work God has called us to do. So let's be a family. Let's be community together and show the world that is watching what it looks like to be God's church because they, they're so confused. They see churches on television. They hear stories of, of churches that have swindled people. They hear stories of churches that have abused people. They, that's the only thing they hear. That's what they get. That's all they know. But friends, we can show our community different when we live in fellowship with one another. So let's commit to that as we go. Sharing is good news. Joyous in His greatness. Standing on His truth as the church God has called us to be. Let me pray for us and we'll be dismissed this morning. God, we thank You for Your goodness and grace. We thank You that You love us and care for us. We, God, we thank You that You You love us even when we are far away. You care for people who we, we don't know, never met. God, you care for people that we, we ignore. God, you loved us when we were far from you. So I pray that as we go, that, that you, would be, you would be cutting hearts, as Acts 2 says, of people in this room who need to maybe make the gospel the main thing in their life, who need to trust in you and your truth, who need to reconcile in order to build community. Whatever it is, God, I pray that you would do that to us. You do that so that, God, we could be who you've called us to be. God, we, we love you. We thank you for your grace and pray that you keep us safe and watch over us as you take us out of this place, that you would use us for your kingdom and that we would return to praise all that you've done as we give you honor and glory in the name of Christ. Amen.